podcast ain't played nobody. Let's hurry up through this week 12. Uh, Richard Johnson, good morning. Let's discuss what happened yesterday. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey on Instagram. On, well, let's say Twitter too. Why not? I'm part of the Banner Society. Richard, where might the fine people find you on social media? RJ underscore rights on Twitter, if you dare. Ooh, sleepy voice. All right, the real, uh, the real, 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 real ass playoff teams. Are you ready? Uh, LSU beat Ole Miss 58 to 37 last night. We will discuss the 37 part of that in just a minute. Ohio we State. Sure will. Ohio State beat Rutgers 56 to 21. Clemson beat Wake Forest 52 to 3. Georgia beat Auburn 21 to 14. Alabama beat Mississippi State 38 to 7. Oregon beat Arizona 34 to 6. Utah 49 to 3 winners versus UCLA. Um, and now we get into it's still technically everyone I'm talking about is alive for the playoff. Uh, Minnesota, they lost. I don't know why the rest of these teams are here. Yeah. Minnesota lost 23-19 to uh, versus Iowa. We'll talk about that. Penn State beat Indiana 34-27. to Oklahoma. Hey, they beat Baylor 34-31. to We'll talk about that in a second. Well, and, Oklahoma can say. Yeah. And then Oklahoma uh, beat Baylor, and I have included Baylor here in the real-ass playoff teams. So Baylor lost to Oklahoma. Now... Uh, the good at, the good teams out of it is basically just a congrats on only having two losses at this point. That's that's pretty much what's left. It's just four teams. Florida, uh, they beat Missouri in a super ugly game. Missouri, 30 drives in a row without a touchdown. Good job, Derek Dooley. Uh, Notre Dame smashed Navy 52-20 to and Richard. Boy. Allen, you outlined howdy. specifically how that was going to happen, and it did. Uh, Wisconsin beat Nebraska 37-21. to Michigan beat Michigan State 44 to 10. So, um congrats to those four teams for only having two losses. I don't really know what else to talk about. Good for you. You will probably fill out the New Year's Six bowls in some capacity. Um Richard, the G5 top 5 almost almost took a a shakeup at the very very top. These are of course not my personal rankings anymore. I am listing these teams in order by which they are ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. Who Cincinnati's number one, so it's definitely not my personal rankings. Well, I'll put it this way: we'll talk about we'll, we're going to get to why Cincinnati may get exposed, but um, this is the order by which they were seated by the Playoff Committee. Of course, I'm, I'm doing that tongue in cheek because the Playoff Committee could obviously give a damn about the group of five, and it's a shame. Remember, it's it's highest ranked conference champion, G5 conference champion. All right, number one is still Cincinnati after a ugly game. No points in the first half. South Florida, they won on a field goal as time expired, 20-17 to 17 in Tampa. Memphis, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, dicked around with Houston uh, before pulling away 45-27. to 27. Uh, Boise smashed New Mexico 42-9. to 9. Our number four team, per the playoff rankings, is Navy. They obviously lost 52-20 uh, to 20 to Notre Dame. And App State. 56 to 27 winners versus Georgia State. Who shout out to Bud Elliott? That quarterback did play, buddy. Um, we have a lot of places we're gonna, we can go, Richard. We're going to talk about the big stuff in just a second. Uh, one of the things I'm fixated on because one, it's Group of Five. Two, it's AAC, and three, it's just going to be neat and weird. Cincinnati and Memphis. Let's actually just start there because we can. They play each other in the final week of the season, Richard. The final regular season uh, week. The game is in Memphis. It is. Not locked up yet, but close to it. 
that those two teams would also see each other the following week in the conference championship. Basically, as I understand it, if both teams clinch the division, they go into that game against each other in the final week. The team that hosts, because the AAC doesn't have a neutral site, the team that hosts is determined specifically on the head-to-head record. So, in other words, if Memphis wins in Memphis, Cincinnati has to turn around and come back to Memphis the following week. If Cincinnati wins in Memphis, they go up to Cincinnati. So, um, you have some thoughts about Cincinnati relative to Memphis. You feel very bullish on the Tigers, yes? Yeah, I mean, Memphis, I'm worried that Memphis is going to all-out aerially assault Cincinnati. I mean, it's like USF, USF was able to get explosive plays in this game with a passing game that's not that good. Um, Four passes of 30 yards for USF. USF was one of five on field goals, missed a 43-yarder and a 33-yarder, and lost this game by, what was it, three points? Um, You know, USF was in this game uh, and really had a chance to win it. But as far as projecting this forward, Cincinnati... I'm worried about you against Memphis twice. But, of course, they won't be playing Memphis twice because they'll be playing Navy, as we have said. You still believe that? I do still believe that, but we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, I, I Cincinnati against the pass. Memphis is going to have something for you. Believe that. One of five field goals. One of five on field goals, Southwood. Now, I, now he missed two 50-yarders, which I will... I'll write those off because he's a college kicker. But the 33-yarder is tough, tough to swallow. Interesting decision to go for 50-yard field goals, South Florida. Interesting. I'll give it to you. Um, All right, let's go back to the very top here for a second. Um, I, Richard, saw this LSU team before it was this LSU team uh, play Vanderbilt back in September. Do you know what happened in that game? LSU gave up a... relative ton of points to Vanderbilt, if I recall correctly? They gave up a relative ton of points. They did. They gave up a uh, a lot of points. They controlled the tempo of the game. It wasn't ever really in doubt, okay? So this is very similar to what happened with Ole Miss last night. What has happened in between those games is that LSU has beaten Alabama and sort of become the, well, the number one team in the college football playoff, and, and the offense has become a point of national focus and really, like, in the way that the media very poorly just congeals around three big narratives. I can't stop talking about Heisman race. Um, LSU has a lot more focus on it now. This is basically what I saw on September 21st. Vanderbilt scored 38 points. A lot of it came in the second half down the stretch in some junk time. Ole Miss scored 37 points. A lot of it came down the stretch in junk time. Now it's hashtag concerns. It's hashtag concerns because people are jumping ahead to look at Georgia. We will talk about them in a second. LSU, obviously. That is the wrong team to jump ahead and look ahead to. We'll get there. Arkansas and Texas A&M still on LSU's schedule at this point. Um, people really, really want to fit that that SEC championship. They, they're, a lot of people scheming that bad boy up already. Um, Sweetie, I, that's not... <laughs> Let's go there. Let's mash the games together. So obviously, all right. Let's Georgia wins. So Georgia wins a game that um, I, I the word I could not get away from was muddy, and I feel very, very good about that. It was very, very muddy. Um, yeah, I took our I took our buddy Dan Rubinson to get his first Popeyes chicken sandwich during the third quarter. Yeah, this was a game that in a in in a, whew, man. Um, Auburn, as Spencer Hall wrote this week, has a penchant for ruining things. 
I'm not sure what would have served college football better. Had they just hung on and been blanked, as a lot of Auburn people I know were sort of complaining about quote-unquote offensive genius and hashtag offensive guru and people getting very, very mad at Gus Malzahn. They sprang to life at the end. They sprang <laughs> to life in the fourth quarter. Um, it was all for naught, obviously. Um, I can't escape Georgia's offense, honestly. That's what I want to talk about. Let's yes, talk about Georgia's exactly. offense for a second. Well, all right, we'll talk about Georgia's offense. We'll, we'll circle back to LSU's defense because I want yeah. to hit there. Um, Georgia's offense, it just is what it is. I, I'm, I, there's no figuring it out. There's no let's see. It very much is what it is. Jake Fromm had, I believe, 50 or I think 60 passing yards outside of the long touchdown pass that he threw. Uh, from our friend Bud Elliott, co-host Bud Elliott, Georgia gained 230 yards on three scoring drives. It gained 20 yards on its other 12 Ugh. drives combined. Yeah, this so is what it is from Georgia. Th- what it is is the absolute bare minimum. I've been saying it for a long time. Spencer Hall hit on it in the read option this morning. This is ideal Kirby Smart football as per Kirby Smart. This is 2009 Alabama replicated in a at a program by which – we, we now know geographically and with its reach and its money can can recruit at the same level as Alabama. All right. That's all they're doing. And you can't the, the one the the saving grace or, or the thing to hit on here with Georgia is like you're choosing to play this certain way and you are the most elite talent that's currently trying to play this way. Like that you're the no hey, Richard, you're the only elite talent trying to currently play this way. Right. LSU right. found hey LSU saw the light okay Ohio State Alabama they've been there all right your head and shoulders better than Wisconsin talent wise Oklahoma been like, doing it for fifteen years at this point this is like it, what yeah. are you doing guy there's a reason and, and I I feel like I say the same thing when we talk about Georgia now but there's a reason why the other power look hey dude read the room look around <laughs> Clemson ain't doing this Oklahoma don't the entire Big Twelve doesn't do this. Why did you think that being the Alabama team that mashed on Notre Dame, that being the Alabama team that was all all of the accomplishment pre-lane kip, what about that said, you know what, it'll work now? A 10-year-old offensive concept. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because Georgia just, this was just, ugh. This is the kind of this is the kind of win where Kirby walks off the field and, and and like he felt like it was a referendum on his style of offense and defense, which is terrifying. Oh, uh-huh. okay. They asked. I will say this. They asked Kirby after the game. They said, "What'd you tell your team in the locker room?" And he said verbatim, "I told him how about them fucking dogs." Wow. And that's the that like so all of my best friends up here are all Georgia fans by some cruel twist of fate. Literally, the people that I love most in the world are all Georgia fans, all Georgia grads. And, like, I get the cult of... Because in 2012, when Florida was doing this with Will Muschamp, it is when it when it works. Oh, my God. When it works, and you're mashing ass and winning 12 games, it's perversely fun in a different way than lighting up the scoreboard. Okay. When it works, it is fun. And I get how you rally around... Kirby has a cult of personality. He's our guy. He's a Georgian. Everything. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to actually continue to work. And I don't think when it gets tested in by LSU in the, in the conference title game, or even though they haven't clinched, whatever. 
um, or by Alabama in the conference championship game, or by uh, or by somebody in the playoffs. Should Georgia get there? That's when this style of play gets tested by outside influences, and I worry that Georgia can't win a game that the Georgia can't go where it wants to go with this team um as architected as it is i suggested in a conversation with ryan nanny yesterday while watching this game that maybe bo Nix is like the metaphor of the the young major league slugger who gets called up and just rakes for two months right just killing it at the plate and then by the end of the season is batting under 200 because people have figured him out i actually don't agree with myself because i'm still hung up on and oregon sure as hell is I'm still hung up on an underthrown pass that ends up being a touchdown to win that game. If that goes the opposite way and Oregon wins that game, I think we don't have all this Bo Nix magic. I, I'm i not trying to create a total career assessment out of one kid's freshman campaign in the SEC West. That seems just mean He's just not there yet. And that's, yeah, he's, he's just, just not, not there, there yet. yet. But this is the question I want to ask you. So I'm watching I'm watching the Auburn offense in the fourth quarter. Okay. If you have like, if if when you go fast, good things almost always happen against the same defenses. Where if you piddle and dick around, or just sort of like I don't know if they're evaluating looks in the first quarter. I don't understand. But if you're Gus Malzahn and this is the thing you do, and you have the ability to go fast, and you have the ability to get your guys in space, and and as you go faster. Your zone read works a little bit better because they're on their heels and you're only making a couple reads and you're you're able to do it quickly. If tempo makes you look the best, why aren't you coming out of the gate running tempo? I think that Gus would tell you, um, and it's sort of like Chip Kelly. Like, everybody thinks Chip Kelly was always drop clutch fast or Gus was always drop clutch fast. No, the brilliance of it is the varying of the tempos. The brilliance okay. of it is being able to drop the clutch and go fast when you want to or when you need to and and be able to get results from it. You cannot go 0 to 60 for an entire game because as similarly as it makes defenses vanilla and defenses plain and you can't sub and all that sort of stuff, it also makes your offense the same way for better or for worse. All right. Well, let's play the game. Real so I pushed back there a little bit. Uh, no, that's fine. I I'm genuinely curious. Um let's 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 play the game a little bit like everybody wants to play and and jump from Auburn back to Georgia via whatever LSU is going to do in the conference championship. Um, you had a great observation that Ole Miss for I mean because this is the only way they can really play a game at this point really ran back into this game not something that should have happened when LSU's up 31 seven um, they were down 31 seven and yeah. ran the ball. John Rice Plumley looked great. I mean, there's a lot of things that when you go back and look at this Ole Miss offense that played uh, Memphis in week one and how hapless and clueless they were, I mean, just leaning into the freshman was the best move possible. I, I was actually shocked, honestly, that the offensive line held up as well as it did during the comeback. They were not going to win this game. They were not going to come all the way back, but there was some functionality there that was shocking. Um, does any of this trans- LSU? No, I was going to say, does any of this translate to, to this this – I, I just feel like we're creating a fake, a fake trip game, a, a, a fake trap here for for LSU because I don't think Georgia can match any of that shit. Well, Georgia's not going to play. The, look, LSU got rich rotted. All right, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna absolutely put it right there. Uh, Ole Miss, first of all, Ole Miss was down thirty one to seven. All right, 
And I know everybody wants to say, well, LSU's defense isn't what it's been the last 10 years. Um, I understand that. I I tend to agree. But I I am not going to overreact to the biggest letdown game LSU's had in 10 years. Because last week they just won the biggest regular season game they've won in, what, a decade? Eight years? Whenever 9-7 was? Um, Ole Miss fought their way back into this game in a way that Georgia won't because John Reese Plumley was integral in the run game. Jo- uh, Ole Miss run ran counter read and inverted veer. That That's how they were able to have success in this game. It looked like Dave Aranda and company had never seen these plays run before. Obviously, they're probably a little bit worried about the pass up 31-7 anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia's run game is not structured like Ole Miss's was last night, which Jake Fromm is not going to is not going to run the ball twenty seven times against LSU. Uh, Ole Miss used the quarterback to add a number into the run game, and it makes your run game harder to stop. What I am worried about for LSU, the a, a team with a similar structured run game is Oklahoma. And if LSU is not able to get mm, it shored up, okay. If LSU is if not going to be able to get it shored up, Oklahoma is going to run through them like shit through a tin horn in a playoff game. But Dave Aranda, given a month to prep for that game, one would think he would take his, uh, the lessons from what happened last night mm. and extrapolate those and be able to craft a system to limit Jalen Hurts. But Oklahoma's going to do a lot of what they saw against Ole Miss, a, a lot of what LSU saw against Ole Miss if those two happen to be matched up against each other in a playoff game. Lazy narrative time real fast. I just want to debunk it. Since um, we wrote them off for dead because they looked actually dead against South Carolina, Georgia has beaten Kentucky 21 to nothing. They had a bye week. They beat Florida 24 to 17. They blanked Missouri. Why are you bringing up old shit? <laughs> they blanked Missouri. And they they held Auburn to 14 points. Let's go through and look at those quarterbacks real fast. Let's go through and look at those offensive lines real fast. Is this in any way, shape, or form? One more time. Kentucky, Florida with a freshman. A Missouri team that has just fallen the F apart. And Auburn, okay, with a freshman quarterback. What about those opposing offenses says... LSU is going to struggle here. LSU is miles better than every one of those offenses. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. This is not the the pain point. This is not the. This is not what makes me think LSU is not going to make it to the playoff. No, not at all. And, I, and not. yet, it just keeps. I, I, I keep seeing this, and I keep seeing people that, that like specifically hashtag the media. We want so badly for this to be a big matchup, and I just don't see it. I want to do Iowa real fast. I pulled this sometimes when we're going through and doing recaps and stuff. I like reading just the straight AP Gamer. It's the one where that there's usually no quotes because it's written as the time expires. Um, it that has the mo- it I'll has the most that. statement matter of fact stuff in it, and it, it usually yeah, just gives. Say you want to talk about you want to talk about the age difference by the two people on this podcast. Well, it it, it's a fast way to do it. Then you move to the box score, and then you get into advanced analytics and observations. But it the fastest way to know what happened in a game is still to me. And I know like Connolly and I used to talk about this all the time. There's still when an AP when an AP gamer is written the right way can tell you everything in two sentences. And I submit to you this. Quote, Iowa retained the Floyd of Rosedale Trophy for the fifth consecutive year, despite being outgained 431 yards to 290, generating only 69 yards in the second half. 
and scoring just three points after halftime. The reason why Is I love Dateline on it. <laughs> da, 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 da. Iowa City Dateline. Uh, I'm sure there was. The reason why I love this so much, Richard, is that I have a working theory that continues to be proven correct, that when you go to Iowa City, you turn into Iowa. And if you can beat Iowa being Iowa, that's the, that's it. That's the only way out. of the, that, That's how you get out of the cave. You, have, see, poof, actually, you are now Iowa. You have to out Iowa, Iowa as Iowa. Uh, well, see, that's the narrative. I look at that. I watch the games, nerd. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think Minnesota could have Minnesota their way to a victory here. Um, but consider this. We've talked about Minnesota in the red zone. Uh, I, I've said it like three straight podcasts. Minnesota got in the red zone, one touchdown, two field goals, and one missed field goal in the red zone combined with the missed extra point that they had after that, la- I guess the last touchdown that they had in the game. Minnesota was not able to be as ruthlessly efficient in the red zone in this game as they had been in weeks prior with touchdowns, with sixes instead of threes, um, and and it's it's one of the reasons why they weren't able to win this game. The other one was, obviously, Iowa comes out and punches them in the mouth at, at go, and that's why I, I think, that's why everybody was like, oh, it's Kinnick, it's, it's, it's Kinnick in November, and everybody's gotten that conniption. But I'm like Minnesota could have still Minnesota this game if they were able to um, if they were able to respond to the fact that Iowa bowed up in the red zone in a way that they hadn't really faced yet this season. Uh, what had you're so bullish on Navy? What happened? Uh, they <laughs> sorry, I got to scroll down to the note here. I like your um, note. I like your note because you spaced it out and wrote "yikes" with a bunch of spaces in between the letters. Um, oh shoot! It First half got... drive chart. There I'll it do it yes, for yes, you. Yes, you ready? Yes. First half drive chart. Fumble, fumble, punt, downs, fumble. That's awful. And there again, you go to halftime down. What was it? Thirty-eight to three, I think, or something like that. It was. Um, you know, when you go into halftime down 30 points with that offense, you're never against a team like Notre Dame. You're never going to come back and win, ever. No. And Notre Dame did virtually what they did last year against Navy in a, in a sense of defensive structure. And Navy, two of those fumble drives were long-ish drives. They, they were able to sort of move the ball and then got behind the game script and the jig was up. So that's, that's the check-in for Minority Coordinator of the Week. Every time I've prognosticated against a, a a good team that's like undefeated, hasn't been tested yet, going into a game, I have just bowed up and been really strong about supporting the favorite. So I was shitting on Minnesota. We've been shitting on Baylor. We'll get to Baylor in a second. I look at this Penn State Ohio State thing. It's a similar situation where I'm like, oh, Ohio State's going to kill them. Well, they are. I just can't help but say that. I mean, aren't they going to kill them? Because this. By the way, it's a fun game against Indiana, and shout out to Indiana. I'll be there next week in Bloomington with Spencer Hall, Banner Society, Homefield. Uh, come get a sticker. But, um, yeah, Penn State, man, you're good, but you have like three or four fatal flaws that you can hide against almost everybody except these guys. Yeah, I think Penn State, Penn State is Rose Bowl good. I don't think Penn State is actually playoff good. That and is the best way to say it. And that's a missed evaluation, I think, uh, just because Penn State looks so good. Uh, the first, what was it, eight or nine weeks of the season before the last two weeks have kind of reared their ugly head. Um, look, the top comes off Penn State's defense at a rate only matched by a Girls Gone Wild video. It is two weeks in a row Wait, here. Wait, you're giving me shit for being old and you just brought up Girls two, Gone Wild? 
two weeks those in videos, a row. Those here, videos came out when you were in the fifth grade. I it's I became a young man. Don't finish at two the o'clock sentence. in the morning. Don't Comedy finish Central. the sentence. Uh, look, Penn State has been two weeks in a row. They've they've seeded long passing plays to teams that, on the balance, they're definitely more talented, but more than likely better than if you played the game ten times in a row. Um, or a seven-game series. Man, if you think Ohio State doesn't see how Minnesota and Indiana had success against Penn State mm-hmm. and can replicate that, uh, all right, holler at me on next Sunday. Um, Indiana, we love Indiana. We love Wap failure. Wap goes out in the first half of this game. Um, and then Indiana's passing game is kind of one arm tied behind its back. Um, still admirable in the second half, but without the ability to kind of prolong. But if that fumble, which I don't, I, it will be lost to the sands of time, whether that, that, uh, that, that Wap failure muffed punt was actually a muffed punt. Um, if that doesn't happen, different game. Penn State you know it's fun. Touchdown. We got to do this to Penn State because we just did it to Georgia. Now that you've identified the flaws or the limits, either one, either the either the low limit of of Georgia's abilities or in this case the flaws of Penn State, you then go back in hindsight and go, oh, Idaho, Buffalo, Pitt, Maryland, Purdue, Iowa, Michigan slash situation with that offensive coordinator deal. Michigan's and then, getting better. They're getting better now, but they weren't on October nineteenth. And then that at, was that was when they started to get better. Yes. Then East, right? And then they were then they had Sparty and a bye before they lost to Minnesota. So one more time, real fast: Idaho, Buffalo, Pitt, Maryland, Purdue, Iowa, and the Michigans. Those teams can't take the top off of you in the passing game. <laughs> oh, that's why. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. All right, let's get to it. Um, game of the day. Not that I need yeah. to rank these things. Game of the day. Um, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun like three different times. It was fun to flip over and go, oh, my God, Baylor. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, you could insert any narrative you wanted to into this game. You could say, oh, my God, Oklahoma. You're, th- this, this defensive situation has bled over, and now you're trailing Baylor. And then in the second half, you could say, oh, there's the Baylor offense I've seen the last couple weeks. Total inability. So... Uh, let's blow all those narratives up, Richard. What actually happened in this game? Before I ask you why, two particular things. What actually happened? Uh, Baylor blitzed Oklahoma into oblivion in the first half of this game, especially. Baylor's blitz packages, five, six-man pressures, um, show six-man pressure, drop three guys out, and only bring three. It was a dizzying array of defensive fronts and and pressure on Jalen Hurts in a way I don't think Oklahoma's seen yet this season to the skill level that they saw last night. Baylor was absolutely on it there. In the second half, Baylor goes, fumble, three and out, three and out, three and out, and then the final drive where they threatened. They had the ball for, I believe, three plays in the third quarter, one drive. Um, The... So the third downs, Baylor faced four third downs in the second half. Their average third down goal-to-go distance was 9.75. It was a virtual third and 10 every time they had third down. I know Oklahoma's defense is not gangbusters, but if you give them third and 10 enough times, they'll figure it out. 
<laughs> like they're gonna figure it out. Um, you know, there the the fact that there was no Denzel Mims on the field on those last two plays of the game, killer, 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 killer. Um, it looked like Mims kind of tweaked his calf at the end of the first half on a ball that wasn't even thrown to him. Goes off in the field. I, I would imagine that he just wasn't a hundred percent. Um, you know, d- down the stretch in the second half. Um, I will say Parnell Motley, uh, Oklahoma's corner, really bowed up in the second half and, and was able to defense Mims pretty well there. Um, he is absolutely Baylor, Charlie Brewer's go-to target. Um, in the second, or I, I should say, at the end there, on those last two plays, it was virtually the same zone drop that Nick Bonito had where he drops the pick on the penultimate offensive play for Baylor, and then on what the final offensive play, he he catches the pick, and, and Oklahoma wins the game there. Um, Oklahoma, you know, they had the long drive that, that Hurts goes in and, and fumbles on the way in. It's not like Oklahoma didn't move the ball. Um, you know, Oklahoma, this is the second time, I guess, they've done roughly this on offense, which is... Looks like they're kind of playing with their food for two and a half quarters and then figures it out. They weren't able to figure it out uh, uh, to actually win the game against Kansas State, but they actually did last night. Um, Oklahoma is what we think it is, and it works basically every time. Um, Are we going to see this again in the first week of December? Uh, Hey, guess what, Richard? Guess what? There you go. What? Texas lost to Iowa State. Horns down, baby. We are going to see this game again. We're going to see this game again. So here's what I would like to do. We're going to leave on this. We get to. I, I think you get to leave this game with whatever narrative you want. I think Baylor had a hell of a plan going in. Oklahoma's a better football team and finally got around to adjusting to it. But I'm kind of excited to see this game happen again. And that's, that's great. That's okay. I know the Big 12 Conference Championship is uh, eh, maligned. But, uh, you know, this could be fun to watch a second time. No? Uh, maybe. You know, uh, maybe if, you know, if um, if Oklahoma is able to come out and, and learn from what happened uh, in the first half especially against Baylor, then it may be a fundamentally different game where Oklahoma absolutely – uh, you know, absolutely runs out to an insurmountable lead mm-hmm. early in that game, and Baylor's not really able to respond. Um, ba- we know that Baylor has kind of flirted with the line in these one-score games the last few weeks. So it, what Baylor showed on defense, and the blitzing specifically, combined with their offense in the first half, is that a trick that you can only pull once? Maybe. Maybe. All right. We'll find out in a couple weeks. Uh, last bit here, Richard, uh, before we go, two is out, uh, ridiculously awful, painful injury. Um, I don't know what narrative we want to get into or what argument, you know, he was playing football. How about that? He was playing football. I will say I'm going to absolutely explode the one, the easy low lying fruit one to a tongue of Iloa should have been in that game. There we go. The time he was in that game. It is the first half. I know they're up by a million. I understand that Saban's Saban's rationale, which I wholeheartedly believe because he doesn't really have a a reason to lie there is he said, I wanted to get to us some two minute work um, at the end of the first half. 
Yes. When else is Alabama going to get two-minute work before the Auburn game? Against, against an SEC team, right? right. It's, a, it's essentially the best practice situation that you could ask for. You um, can't I, – I mean, look, I know that he – I know that a lot of people want to say, oh, well, did the ankle or, you know, the knee or the high ankle have anything to do with that? The, the right guard didn't effectively – block and a blitz came through and it was a sack with two guys on top of him it just unfortunately happens this is the game that we all it's a violent sport watch i I don't know and i'm not trying to blame it on alabama's right guard there I, i say to say the chain reaction of things that had to happen for this unfortunate thing to happen that's that's the picture i'm trying to paint there uh, Richard, let's leave it at that and, and leave a, a couple talking points alone. We, we've got uh, many more weeks to get into it, playoff impact, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what Alabama is now. Mac Jones season. Yeah, yeah, it sucks, um, but it's a sober reminder that this is football. Uh, Richard, I will see you on Thursday, and we will figure out the home stretch of this 2019 season.